Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we continue our studies in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the Gospel and the Church. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart. We'd love for you to join us over there. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, good to have you back. We're carrying on through 1 Thessalonians 5. And we're working our way through these short, uh, pithy statements that Paul gives us to say what it's like, or what it looks like to be a Christian in community with other Christians. Uh, I was listening to someone who was saying that these are like uh, gems in a necklace. Each of these kind of pithy statements is, a, is an individual gem that makes up the necklace of um, what it means to look like a Christian. So we've looked at um, over the last week, the kind of the way that we care for each other, depending on where we're at. And as we move into verse 15, we find Paul saying something a bit more broad, a bit more general about uh, practicing as a Christian. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do uh, one another and uh, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So there's kind of two um, two statements there, a negative and a positive. No one repay evil for evil and always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so in the first part there, where he's talking about not repaying evil for evil, really what he's getting at is the uh, concept of revenge, uh, not avenging yourself, not when you've been wronged, going after someone. And I think that's that's generally quite a normal human reaction. When we see someone wrong, or when we've been wronged ourselves, we want to go and make it right. Now, we might use the phrase, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. I mean, after all, it's, it's biblical. It's a biblical phrase. Uh, and, you know, God is the one who spoke it, and he has all the best ideas. And so, eye for an eye. Someone's taken something of mine, I'm going to take something of theirs. And so revenge ensues. But the problem is, many people have used that phrase, an eye for an eye, over the years to basically get whatever they want back. And it led to someone like uh, Mahatma Gandhi, for instance, who by no means is a Christian, who to say an eye for an eye leads, uh, leaves the whole world blind. Now, I'm not at all endorsing what he's saying. Because I think he's reacting to people misusing this message. Because what we often fail to see is that this message of an eye for an eye is not for us. It's for how um, government deals with civil affairs, with how crimes are punished. I mean, for instance, we wouldn't want to say in the same way that if someone is uh, uh, does something bad to you, you might be gracious. We wouldn't want to say, look, you've murdered these people, you're unrepentant, but we're going to be gracious, just have a year in jail. No, we want the crime to fit, the, the punishment to fit the crime. It should be an eye for an eye. So what the problem comes when people take something that's good and true and given from God to make sure that we live in a fair society and apply it to their own circumstances as though they can be the ones to go and do it. And... Uh, I'd just like to look at Romans 12 and 13 with you a little bit on how we think about this whole topic of revenge and an eye for an eye. 
So in uh, in Romans 12, at the end of Romans 11, Paul has kind of ended this amazing um, uh, explosion of truth that he has experienced and has found in the scriptures, and he's explaining all this truth. And then as we go into chapter 12, he then goes into very practical um, instructions for what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, as he finishes verse uh, chapter 12, he says this, um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's a very clear message. Do not avenge yourself. Leave it to God. In fact, he says, leave it to the wrath of God. He doesn't just say leave it to God. Leave it to the wrath of God. Now, that's clearly a very good message for us when it comes to revenge. But that's not all he says. Because then as he carries on, bear in mind, there was no such thing as chapter reverses distinctions in the ancient world. They just keep on reading. As you carry on into chapter 13, you then read something very interesting. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And then as you carry on down into verse 4, it's talking about the, the civil authorities, the king, the emperor, whatever it may be. He is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the agent of God's wrath. Now, do you see what Paul's done there? Because in verse in chapter 12, he says, do not avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. And then in chapter 13, submit yourself to the governing authorities, for they are the agent of God's wrath. If someone's stolen something of yours, it's not up to you to go and um, get it back. To leave it to the wrath of God means to leave it to those whom God has appointed. Leave it to the, the governing authorities, the police, the, you know, all the things. And, and if they don't source it, even then, no one's getting away with it because there is a day of judgment. So we as, as believers in God can always leave it to the wrath of God and not try to avenge ourselves. In that sense, if we were using it for personal revenge, an eye for an eye would leave the whole world blind. But that's not what God has given uh, that verse for, that, that, that teaching for. God has established fair governments, and every government has a responsibility to live up to what God has uh, commanded. But it's not for us to go and take for ourselves and do what we like with it. So that's the first kind of half of what Paul says. Do not repay evil with evil. Uh, in in one in one Thessalonians, he's given us that command to not go and uh, avenge ourselves, to not be people who are always brewing with revenge. You know, phrases like revenge is a dish best served cold that you can kind of stew in it for a long time and then eventually get it. Should not be even close to what the Christian is like. Christians should be slow to keep grudges, quick to forgive, and rest in the knowledge that we can leave it to God's wrath, whether that be through the local authorities or through him himself supernaturally intervening or through judgment day. that That is, these aren't just abstract concepts. There is a day of judgment 
There is no such thing as a sin that will go unpunished. Either on it will either be on Christ, or it will be on the end, uh, on the on the last day. So that's real comfort for us for why we can not try to repay evil for evil. What about the second half? Always seek to do good to one another. Now I think this is actually the harder part. It's one thing to not go and get revenge, as hard as that may be sometimes. It's another thing to actively do good to those who wrong us. But I think this is, the, uh, this is a, a, again, a key part of what it means to be a Christian. If you think about what Jesus taught us to pray, for instance, he says, forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, I won't, I won't go into it, but it's very cleverly worded in the Greek because there's an emphasis on uh, us, as in as we ourselves forgive, but also the way that the sentence is structured is, is supposed to work like a mirror. So we read one verse where it says, forgive us our sins. It's very easy. I, I'd love to, I'd love to, um, God to forgive my sins. So it's a very easy prayer to pray, forgive my sins. But then the challenge comes in the next verse, which is structured in the exact same way with a few differences. And it has we ourselves, as we ourselves will forgive our, literally, our sinners, those who sin against us. So forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive our sinners. And Jesus does it, I think, to challenge us. It's easy to pray the first line. It's hard to pray the second line. But as you think about parables that Jesus told, like the servant who was let off his debt, you find actually it's a bigger deal for God to forgive our sins than it is for us to forgive other people. Jesus challenges us to have some perspective, to look at the bigger picture and go, no, I've been forgiven infinitely more than other people have. And so we should forgive others. But the other thing about the Christian faith is that the Christ we should never think of the Christian faith as though it is a moral um, guide, as though the Bible is just full of these nice, pithy moral truths. Every moral truth it gives sits on the foundation of God coming to dwell with us in the person of Christ. That should always be where we think, uh, what we think of first. And so what this means is there is never a time that we are commanded to do something that we haven't already been given an example for. You know, even places like uh, Ephesians 5, where uh, we're told, husbands are told to love their wives. You might say, well, Jesus never had a wife. So how are we going to be given that? You know, where's the example there? But then Paul says, actually, no, this is an analogy of the marriage between Christ and his church, what Jesus did for his church, you do for your wife. So we're never given a moral command without an example. Now, we have been given the example par excellence of what it means to not repay evil for evil, but to do good to everyone. I think of places like 1 Peter 2, where, where Peter is, I mean, it comes in the context of obeying authorities. And Peter says this, um, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I love, I love um, not only that passage, the way that Peter brings it up, but also when you think about that truth, especially in the season that we're at the moment, you know, um, as we go into Easter, 
uh, with Good Friday on this Friday and Easter Sunday, we have that image of Christ, the God-man, our example, our perfect example, the one that we could never live up to, but nonetheless we strive to, as he's carrying our sins, as he's carrying the weight of our iniquity to the cross, is spat on, is sworn at, is bleeding, and yet he doesn't uh, curse them, he doesn't uh, speak a word against them. It's a hugely challenging story. I, I always remember I had a friend of mine who really struggled when he got angry. He would um, just expletives and swear words would galore. I remember just uh, kind of reflecting on it. You know, how do we deal with that as Christians? Do we say it's okay if you're angry to do things? And what came to my mind was actually Jesus on the cross. If there was ever a time where someone had the right to just really get some frustration out, it would be Jesus on the cross. And what would we see Jesus doing as he hangs there? He says, Father, forgive them for they not know, they know not what they are doing. He uses the opportunity to bless those who persecute him. Now, if that is our example, that is a very, very tough example, but nonetheless one that we should be reflecting on uh, in, in this week as, as we go into Easter. And so, as Christians, as, as followers of Christ, you know, literally the word Christian means little Christs. As little Christs, we are not left without an example. That's our foundation. And the challenge for us this morning is, do not repay evil for evil, but do good to everyone. I don't think we're going to live up to it, but it's the challenge we're given nonetheless. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you lived and died on our behalf. Lord, that you left us behind the perfect example, the example that we can never live up to, but by your spirit, nonetheless, we strive to. Lord, help us to uh, not seek revenge, to not uh, be avengers, but Lord, to trust ourselves to him who judges justly, knowing, Lord, that there is no such thing as a sin that goes unpunished. Help us to not only not seek revenge, but also do good to all. Lord, knowing that we are representing you wherever we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.